In Genesis 15, God tells a man named Abraham that he's going to bless him. And you see, Abraham was well off by most worldly standards, or at least it seems like he was. But what he wants more than anything is a son. He doesn't have a son. But the problem is that Abraham and his wife are really mature. They are well past childbearing age, we would say. And so Abraham doesn't fully believe that he will ever have a son of his own. And so when God comes to Abraham in the night and he promises protections and blessings and all sorts of wonderful things to him, Abraham says this in Genesis 15, 2 and 3, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. This is a greatly troubling matter to Abraham. He was confused. He was anxious. A servant was his only heir. He didn't understand God's plan for him, at least not fully. He didn't fully believe the promises that he had been given, which is not normally a trait that we associate with Abraham. But that's what the text clearly says. He's struggling to understand what God's plan is for his heir. And look at what God says in verses 4 and 5. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, for your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Look toward heaven. And number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. Incredibly, God tells Abraham that he will have a son, a son of his own. But God goes further in these blessings. He says that not only will you have a son... But no one will even be able to count your future offspring. They will be as a nation as monumental and numerous as the stars in the heavens. And not only that, but God promises Abraham that his offspring are going to inherit the very land that Abraham was standing on. It's an incredible set of promises. If you're Abraham, probably an overwhelming set of promises. This is a complete reversal of fortunes for him. But what I really want to focus on this morning is not Abraham, at least not for now, but actually this question, who are the children of Abraham? And I think this question is important to ask because throughout the Bible you're going to see this distinction that God's people are often referenced as the children of Abraham, or something similar to that. Abraham's offspring are really important to these promises of God. When we ask this question, we're really asking the question, who are God's covenant people? And I think that any sort of study on this matter has to start with Abraham's children. Because like we just said, God promised that Abraham 
God promised that he would bless Abraham's offspring. That he would make a nation of his children. And that promise is really the beginning of the covenant people of God as we see it. Abraham is the father of that covenant nation, so to speak. And so that I, I think that this promise warrants a check into Abraham's offspring as the people of God. And so then we'll start this morning with the Jews, with the people of Israel. Why? Because they are literally Abraham's children. They are the offspring of Abraham. But it's bigger than just that. We also know it's because Israel, the Jews, were chosen by God as his people. Deuteronomy 7 makes that clear. If you want to turn with me there, Deuteronomy chapter 7. And in Deuteronomy 5 and 6, you kind of see this renewal of the covenant of the law of Moses. In Deuteronomy 5, the Ten Commandments were given again to Israel. That law was renewed. And in uh, Deuteronomy 6, you see the greatest commandment, as we often talk about. But Deuteronomy chapter 7, it, it tells us of this covenant between God and Israel. It's this renewal of the covenant. And, and verses 6 through 9 says, it, it says this. For you, Israel, are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who were on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery and from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him, and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. God chose Israel as his people, and he chose them for what seems to be a thousand generations. And that's a pretty long time, a thousand generations. That's a permanent sort of a deal. It appears that God is promising to protect the Israelites forever, to bless them forever, to call them his people forever. So then we have to ask, what's the deal? Are Christians wrong? Because I thought we were supposed to be God's people. Isn't that what we say? Are we not God's people? Because God clearly chose Israel. Do we need to all become Jewish converts in order to be saved? That's the question that we see over and over again in the books of Romans and Galatians, that Jewish Christians trying to convince the church that they need to keep the law of Moses, that they need to be Jews and Christians in order to be saved, in order to truly be the children of Abraham. Or maybe the other option, did, did God break his promise to Israel? Did he drop them as his people? Because I thought that God's promises were always true. But I think if you look a little deeper into this covenant, you can see that maybe the covenant isn't exactly what it appears to be on the surface. Because even here in Deuteronomy 7, I think you get a pretty clear look at who God's people 
actually are. I stopped reading in verse 9, but let's read verses 9 through 12. Deuteronomy 7, 9 through 12. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And he repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. And because you listen to these rules, and because you keep them, and because you do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. And that goes on for the rest of the chapter. So I think if we look very closely at this covenant here, who does God actually say that this covenant is with? First, he says that it's the fathers of Israel, which would be men like Abraham, who we saw earlier. But also, the covenant says that it is with those who love God and keep his commandments. It's to Israel, yes, but it's to the faithful among Israel. Because he says that those who love him will be loved and blessed by him, but those who hate him will be destroyed. So clearly the covenant is about more than just physical lineage. It's about obedience as well. And so naturally, we would expect Israel, the literal children of Abraham, the chosen people of God, that we'd expect them to hear this warning and to choose to strive after God. Because they don't want to be hated by God, they want to be blessed by God. So they'll choose to love God and they'll choose to live their lives keeping his commandments, honoring him and living up to the name, the children of Abraham. But of course, that's not actually what happens. Practically the entire Old Testament is about Israel and Judah breaking God's covenant. In the prophets, God in his mercy warns them. He says, I don't want to punish you, but I will. And he also promises a day where there will be a future member of Abraham's offspring who will come and unite the remnant of Abraham's offspring and the Gentile nations together, and that they will be blessed by God. A future Messiah that fulfills passages like Isaiah 49, 5, and 6, where it says, And the Lord now says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So we see the Messiah, Messiah will restore the children of Abraham, yes, but he will also gather the nations to God so that he may bless them. But it seemed so far away at the time... Because time and time again, Israel chose idolatry and immorality 
and their own selfish lives and their passions and their sins over God. They did not love God or keep his commandments. Instead, they showed God that they hated him. And because of that, they were destroyed. God sent Assyria to destroy Israel, and then God sent Babylon to destroy Judah, except for a remnant. God's people, the children of Abraham, are seemingly destroyed. But then in his mercy, it appears that God's given Judah a second chance, and he brings them back from exile to their homeland. But they live as a broken people in a desolate land. And that's where the Old Testament ends. The physical children of Abraham are living in Judah, but they're living as a shell of what they once were. We have to say, surely this could not be God's plan. This could not be the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Surely this could not be God protecting and loving his people like he promised in Deuteronomy 7. And that's where the New Testament opens, with Jesus on the scene. And for Matthew chapter 1, it is emphasized that Jesus is a Jew, a literal son of Abraham. And in fact, it's made clear, if you continue through the story of the Gospels, that Jesus is not just any son of Abraham, but he is the Messiah that was told about in Isaiah 49 and across Scripture. The one appointed by God to restore the children of Abraham and to bring all nations to him. And of course, we know that he is God himself also. But unlike the Jewish leaders... Jesus didn't take pride in his physical ancestry, his physical tie to Abraham. Which was quite unexpected, to say the least. And in fact, it caused great tensions between Jesus and the leaders of the Jews. Those who thought that they were the chiefs of the children of Abraham. Of course, that's not to say that Jesus did not care about Abraham or that Jesus disregarded God's covenant with Abraham. And this kind of all comes to a head in John 8. And in John 8, Jesus is talking about slavery to sin. Jesus is showing the people that they have the choice between submitting themselves to God and his truth or being enslaved to their sins. But the Jewish leaders are incensed by this. Because Jesus is saying that without him, they are enslaved. And they say, but how could that be? We are the children of Abraham. They think that they are God's people. And and God's people cannot be enslaved, can they? And Jesus rebukes these leaders. In fact, he takes issue that they have the audacity to call themselves the children of Abraham. And we would say to Jesus, well, Jesus, aren't these men literally the children of Abraham? They're the Jews. Aren't these men God's people? If you want to turn with me, this is what Jesus 
says to us in John 8. We're going to read verses 39 through 45. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. But Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. And we'll stop right there. So Jesus goes for the throat here. He tells them that not only are they not the children of Abraham, that they are not the chosen covenant people of God, Jesus tells them that their physical connection to Abraham, their membership to the nation of Israel is useless in his eyes because they're actually the children of Satan. Why? Because they do the works that Satan does. And if they were children of Abraham, they would do what Abraham did. And that's where this lesson comes back around. Because in case you've forgotten, or in case you thought that I had forgotten, we started this lesson with God's covenant to Abraham. And the promise of a great nation that was to come from him, and to be blessed and protected by God. And at the beginning, that nation looked to be Israel, and in some ways it was. But then we never really saw that promise of a great people actually fulfilled in history. And we've come to this point where Jesus says that the people of God, these children of Abraham, are actually those who do what Abraham did. They are God's people. And I think it's safe to say that everyone here wants to be the people of God, or at least I hope you do. So that means that we need to take a few minutes to look at what Abraham did and to analyze, are we actually doing what the works that Abraham did? Because that's what we have to do to be children of Abraham. So what did Abraham do? Genesis 15, the passage that we started with this morning. Though he had previously showed doubt and anxiety in the promises of God, when God promised him this time that Abraham would have a son, that he would have a nation made after him, Genesis 15, 6 says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Even in this time where earthly wisdom told him that God's promises could not be true, Abraham chose to have faith in God and in his word. But he didn't let that faith sit idle in him. 
It wasn't a passive sort of a faith, was it? Abraham chose to act on his faith. In Genesis 12, the first story that we ever read about Abraham, his faith, his trust in God's promises, led him to abandon his past life and all the comforts that it brought, to abandon his home and everything that he knew, and to go where God told him to go. A land that he knew nothing about. And then in Genesis 22, the most outstanding story about Abraham, he showed an amazing amount of faith by being willing to sacrifice his own son, his only son, the promised son, Isaac. And so we can see that a lot of what we read about Abraham, a lot of his character kind of boils down to one concept, and that is faith. Faith in God, faith in his promises, but a faith that leads to action. A faith that leads to a certain kind of lifestyle, a life submitted to God. And as a result of Abraham's active faith, he was blessed by God repeatedly. It is even said in Genesis 22 that these promises were given to Abraham, that these blessings were given to Abraham because he obeyed God's voice, because he was willing to trust God and sacrifice Isaac. And so if that's a little bit about who Abraham is and what he did, what does that mean for us? Because we've already established that if we want to be the people of God, like we claim to be as Christians, that we have to be the children of Abraham. We have to, to borrow a phrase from the New Testament, imitate Abraham as he imitates Christ. So then, are we called to have faith? If you would turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, and we'll read verses 5 through 9. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Christians are called to have a faith, as Abraham did. And Galatians 3 and Romans 4 talk about that extensively if you want to write those down for later. So then the question is, are Christians called to act on that faith like Abraham did? And if you would turn with me to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, and we'll just read verses 18 through 24. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. 
Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Here's how he's going to show them. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture that was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So all of this to say that Christians are called to have this same faith as Abraham. We are called to live as Abraham did. We are called to trust in his promises, to act on our faith. In short, we are called to love God and to keep his commandments. And that's important because it makes it clear that the church is not some sort of Plan B, as some people will claim, that because Israel was unfaithful to God, God was, had to think really hard and rush to come up with something else. Deuteronomy 7, 9 makes it clear who's God, who God's covenant was actually with. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and those who keep his commandments to a thousand generations. God's covenant has always been with those who love him and those who are faithful to him, those who keep his commandments. So the true children of Abraham are not those of a certain lineage. Galatians 3 says that there's no Jew or Gentile in God's people. The true covenant people of God, the new Israel, the children of Abraham are those who follow God no matter the cost, no matter the doubts, no matter what's going on in this world. The people of God are those who have faith and act on it. Because in Christ, God has brought all nations to himself. In Christ, God has restored Israel. In Christ, God has fulfilled his promise to Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation because Jesus, the seed of Abraham, lived and died and was resurrected for us. The children of Abraham are now those who are faithful to God in the church, made up of all nations, all people willing to trust God and live faithful lives to him. But even though they are made up of all nations, they have been made into one blessed nation in a faith like Abraham. And God is with him and God blesses them. The promises to Abraham are pivotal because we are to be the children of of Abraham. And then that means that there is a choice for us. Because since this covenant is not from a lineage, not because we go to church and so we get to put on a little name tag that says we are Christians, but this covenant is from faith. And that means we actually have to live out our faith. We have to trust in God. We have to do what he says. God has offered us unimaginable blessings. Blessings through Jesus, the seed of Abraham. 
And he has given us the ability to become part of the nation as monumental and numerous as the stars or as the sand. So the question then is, will you accept the blessings of Jesus? Because if so, you have to trust God. You have to leave your past life as Abraham did and surrender all to him. To live out your faith. Even in the times of great anxiety and when it's hard to trust. And if you do that, you will be blessed by God. On the day where God's promises are ultimately fulfilled and he brings all the nations to himself through Jesus the Messiah. Let us pray and then be dismissed to our classes. Father, help us to be your people. Help us to trust your promises and to love you and follow you in faith as Abraham and so many others of your people have done before us. Help us to never take our place in your people for granted, to never act like we earned it or that it is a given but help us to strive to submit ourselves better to you every day so that we may inherit your promises. Amen.